welcome to the Oceans Church podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged and empowered to bring the kingdom of heaven into your spheres of life. How good is God? Oh, I've just loved church so far this morning and those baptisms just so good to celebrate. So just join me as we just pray as we enter a time of teaching and the word. Uh, Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you meet us here today, Lord. We thank you so much for all the lives that you have transformed. And we pray um, through myself and Nathan that you can be working through us through your Holy Spirit and speaking to people's hearts and minds exactly where they need you this morning. Amen. Hey guys, I'm Holly. Uh, If we haven't met before, I moved here about four years ago uh, from Sydney. I'm a wedding photographer. I'm part of the Connect and Creative team here. And I love being a part of Multiply, our discipleship program. Um, And what a great start we've had to this year. Uh, So far, this series has been awesome. Um, Yeah, just like Mitch was saying, it's been so good to hear from such a different variety of speakers. So this year, we're taking our New Year's resolutions and turning it into a personal revolution. Uh, The definition that we've been working on is a revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. And so we want to overthrow this old worldly system that focuses on what we do um, and focus in on instead who we are and most importantly, who God says we are. Because when we know who we are, um, when we know who God says we are, then we begin to see ourselves differently. Then we're transformed and it will affect everything we do. And so last week, Tyrus reminded us that we are holy and therefore we can live holy. Uh, and Sam brought us an incredible word, uh, reminding us that we are loved by God and nothing can separate us from that love. Um, but yeah, when we were first introduced this series, I just loved this whole premise, this counter-cultural idea. Um, it brings me a lot of joy and a lot of spark, uh, but this hasn't always been the case. Previously, I found a lot of security and identity in, um, yeah, my surroundings, the things I did, um, kind of of those name tags that you put on yourself in life. Um, And so firstly, I was from the northern beaches of Sydney. Um, I don't know how many of you know exactly what that means, but um, pretty laid back, chill area. It's where they film Home and Away that gives you a bit of an idea. Um, I found my identity in going to a private all-girls school, in being a gymnast, in being a dancer, um, going to a tech uni and being a design student. Um, And not only did these labels, they brought a real sense of belonging uh, and identity, but also a whole bunch of expectations with them. Little boxes you've got to fit into to make people happy and comfortable. Um, And sometimes these are like really helpful. Uh, For me, going to the school I went to, it dictated that I'd go to uni and I did and it was really fruitful time for me. Uh, But sometimes these boxes, they're kind of hard and annoying and they just feel really uncomfortable and they cast a lot of uncertainty upon us. Um, And I know I'm certainly not alone in feeling uh, this way. I know there's many times in our lives where we just, we don't feel like we fit in. 
uh, whether it's when we move cities or move countries, uh, whether it's when we start at a new job or at a new school, um, or even just enter into a new stage of life, we can feel like we don't belong. And sometimes this is even more noticeable as Christians. Um, yeah, we just might notice that difference even more so. My friends at uni certainly did very early on in the first couple of weeks. They actually wrote a corrupt Holly list um, because they noticed when I went out, I didn't drink. Um, I yeah, didn't enjoy going clubbing. I wasn't going to sleep with my boyfriend. Um, and so despite my best efforts to still fit in, to still be fun without being too wild and um, still bring like joy and not bring the mood down. There was just that discomfort. And um, the reason is because as followers of Jesus, we don't fit in. We don't belong here. Just let that sink in a second. We don't actually belong here and we're not supposed to fit in. And so this morning, we're going to look at what God has to say about that and where we truly do belong. And so today's talk is called Citizens of Heaven. And we've got two quick points. So the first one, you may have already guessed it. You do not fit in. And so we're going to read what Scripture says about it. Today we're going to be in Philippians. So if you want to open your Bibles to there on your phones. Um, but we're going to be starting in Philippians 3.17, where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, where he uses this term, Citizens of Heaven. So starting at 3.17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So first point, we don't fit in. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. He is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And I don't know if you noticed, but that first verse that we read, it said, pattern your lives, your life after mine. Imitate me. You're not supposed to fit in either. Uh, earlier in chapter three, Paul's saying, uh, he's rebuking the Philippians for putting their confidence in the flesh, in the worldly things, in their accomplishments. Uh, he says, you think you guys have reason to be confident? Uh, the place you grew up, the uni you went to, the job you have. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait up. I have so much reason. He had the most secure identity ever. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church. 
and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was a top-tier Jewish man. He was respected. He was honored. He was entrepreneurial. He was a leader. He was going above and beyond. I don't know what that might look like for someone in Albany today, but I had a bit of a guess of what kind of that ideal person would be. Maybe you went to a private school, you then went to study up in Perth, got a good job, married by 23, house by 25, on your way to three kids by the time you're 30, um, being able to, with your job, uh, send your kids to a good school as well, go somewhere warm in July, go camping in the summer. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? (laughs) But despite these accomplishments... Despite these titles and responsibilities, Paul, he just throws it all away. He is in the opposite place of a nice school, of owning a house, of, uh, yeah, the perfect holiday, a comfortable job, and now he's writing to the Philippians from prison. Talk about not fitting in. He would throw it all away because he knows he belongs to somewhere better a better place. And it's not here in this world, but he is now a citizen of heaven with Jesus. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because what Christ has done. Paul is no longer seeking to belong with those who are enemies of the cross. He no longer wants to be led by what his body wants. He doesn't care about his worldly or secular legacy or even his religious legacy he leaves behind. He doesn't care about his job title, the suburb he lives in, where he went to school. Because he knows he belongs not here on this earth but somewhere so much better, he is a citizen of heaven. He belongs to a better place And he's looking forward to that day when he can be there, when he can face Jesus face to face. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. He knows on the other side of this life, there is something that is so much better. A fullness in his identity and belonging that will only actually be realized when he gets to heaven. And so I just want to say, if you felt like, yes, I don't fit in, and I'm not going to fit in those boxes, because as a follower of Jesus, you're not going to, and you're not supposed to. You were never meant to. Our citizenship, it's in heaven, and so we don't pursue the same things that the world tell us are must-haves, because there is something so, so much better. So I just want to encourage you guys, let go. Let go of trying to fit in here in this world and know you are a true citizen of somewhere even better. And so that brings us to our second point. Um, You may be wondering, what does this mean for me? How is that going to impact my life today? How are we supposed to go about this and stand out? And so Paul gives us a little hint. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news 
about Christ. He wants us to stand out. He wants us to shine bright. Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Rather than aiming to look like the rest of the world, our aim should be to look different. Not to complain and argue, acting like everyone else might be in your workplace or at school or in your family, when it can just be so easy to fit into the mold, but be different, stand out. Uh, how we're supposed to live our lives, it's supposed to stand out. I love how um, the NIV puts verse 15. It says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Stars, they shine brightest. You particularly probably notice down here if you go out to a friend's property against a dark sky. You just see so many of them. But I'm not sure if you've noticed, even when you go to Perth or another major city, you still see stars because the ones that are so distinct, that are so bright, they are still noticeable. So rather than being ashamed of your differences, rather than uh, being ashamed of your faith, the more different you are, the brighter you're going to shine, the more you're going to stand out. So that's my encouragement. Shine bright, guys. Uh, embrace being different because, like we've said, you don't belong here. You're not supposed to belong here. You're not supposed to fit in here in this world. And so the sooner you embrace that, it's just so freeing. It's so, so freeing. The freer you will be uh, when you're not looking to find your worth and identity in this world. Because when we find it in who God says we are, oh, it's just so good. And we are citizens of heaven. I don't know if you guys, when I talked about Shining Bright, have ever thought, noticed someone in your life uh, who shone really brightly that's the right English for it. Uh, but I had the very fortunate opportunity uh, of working with a guy called David, not my husband. Uh, but at the architecture firm I worked out of about 100 people, I can guarantee you that absolutely everyone there knew he was a Christian. And it's not because he rambled on about the gospel and Jesus all the time, um, but it's because he had so many of those attributes that... Um, Paul was talking about. He didn't complain or argue. He worked really hard. He was a really gentle and kind leader. He never gossiped about his co-workers. He spoke well of his wife and children, and he never spoke badly of anyone. Uh, he shared when he was being prayerful over big uh, big decisions and projects at work and even shared once when the Holy Spirit prompted him to go back over these master plans another time and he picked up on mistakes that uh, would have cost thousands. He shone so brightly um, and through his actions he stood out. He didn't look like every other uh, director at the firm 
And so when he decided to run Alpha at lunchtime, people came. They wanted to talk about faith. They wanted to hear about Jesus. Um, and he didn't fit in. And it was really, it was really beautiful that shining brightly because he was a citizen of heaven. He wasn't trying to fit the mold of being the perfect architect, of being this big dog leader. He was more focused on where he truly belonged. And so I'm gonna ask you guys just to stand now and just take a moment to consider how you guys might shine brightly in the darkness. Just may you open your hearts and minds, yeah, just to the Spirit's prompting, but gonna just ask you a couple questions. Are you guys willing to own up to your mistakes at home, at work, even at church? When you do something wrong, do you come humbly apologizing, seeking forgiveness? Or are you being proud and worldly and just finding excuses and shoving it under the rug? I wonder how you prioritize your time. Do you seek God first? Or do you seek worldly comforts first? Social media, TV, books. I know it can be so hard. Do you guys have integrity? If you're a leader or a manager, that might look like not being the coolest. Might look like not being the most fun, but being someone people enjoy working under because you're consistent, you're honest, you're servant-hearted in the way you lead because you're not supposed to look like everyone else. You're not supposed to look like everyone else in your workplace, everyone else at school, everyone else in your communities and your sports teams, possibly even in your home. You're not supposed to fit in there because you're meant for somewhere else. You're meant for somewhere so much greater. And as we've been saying, knowing that, knowing who you are, that will outflow into the rest of your life. So be bold. Don't try and blend into the darkness, but shine brightly as citizens of heaven. You have a hope and a certainty that far surpasses anything you contain here on earth. So just going to spend a bit of time in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray that you can give us confidence, so much confidence in our citizenship in heaven, Lord. Remind us that that is where we truly belong. And Lord, help us set our eyes on you and this incredible future that awaits us, Lord. In the meantime, we pray that you can just help us let go. Let go of all those other areas where we're seeking identity and belonging and where we want to blend in, Lord. Help us just hold with open hands to you, our jobs, our education, our leadership goals, our dreams. Lord, you are so good and we just ask that your will be done in our lives, Lord. Yeah, we just pray that we can shine brightly in everything we do. Lord, give us that confidence. Give us that confidence to shine brightly, Lord. Give us that confidence to be patient and kind when it's really hard. Give us that confidence to be selfless and giving when we really don't want to be. 
Lord, help us be loving and gracious, knowing that everything here on this earth is just so temporary. And we have an amazing future in eternity with you, Lord. Lord, we thank you so, so, so much that you sent your son Jesus down from heaven, Lord. We thank you that he came down to meet us, to redeem us, so that we could be in relationship with you, to give us the citizenship in heaven, Lord. And we just, yeah, we thank you, thank you, thank you. We thank you that you made it possible, Lord. And so we pray that that may shape us and transform us as we go ahead into this year. And everyone said, Amen. Amazing, guys. I'm going to invite up Nathan to join us. Amazing. Do you want to welcome Nathan? He's got amazing word to continue. Awesome. Thanks, Holly. Great job. Awesome. I'll just give her another quick hand. That was fantastic. Well, yeah, for those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Nathan, and I'm married to my amazing wife, Sandra. And together we've got three incredible daughters, Allegra, Belle and Persia, spread out somewhere in the room. And between us all, we've been involved in the worship team here. And it's great to see a guitarist on team again. Nate, well done this morning, first time up. So that's great. I've been involved in the prayer team. Um, We have involvement in the cafe team. And we've been involved in Alpha and the Multiply Discipleship Program that runs here as well. And we also run a dinner party. And uh, yeah, so Sandra and I, we actually grew up in Albany and have been out of town the last 20 years, spreading our, our time between Perth and Brisbane. But we're back here to give our kids a similar sort of upbringing in a regional town as we had. We really enjoyed it. We love this part of town and, and getting our girls around a lot more family, which has been fantastic for them. And work-wise, I studied geophysics and I've generally worked for employers over my career. But since we've been here, I'm actually trying my hand at consultancy work. So it's been uh, an interesting time joining the ranks of small business. Um, It's definitely been faith building, but exciting. But I remember in uh, one of my previous roles, the CEO, one of the CEOs at a company I was at, was a larger than life character. He had this big, deep, booming voice and an even boomier laugh. You could literally hear it rooms away. And uh, everything about him was just intimidating. I don't think he was a Christian, Holly, like your, your manager. But he, he liked to tell a joke. He liked to have a laugh. He was very charismatic, as most CEOs tend to be. But all of this generally happened on his own terms. If I just sort of couldn't imagine asking him how his kids were or, or what he got up to on the weekend. It wasn't really a relationship of equals between us. And usually when we did speak, it was because he'd first instigated. I wouldn't generally go up to him and just come up for a chat. But however, when we did talk, if I just happened to drop a little bit of a factoid of uh, negative news, like a project's lagging behind schedule, or uh, what I thought was just a relatively casual conversation over the water cooler, could set off a series of events that ended up in me potentially getting a call up into the boss's office to please explain this bad news. So you sort of learn that when you're speaking to the CEO, to be courteous, to be polite, but be, to be on your toes, to not offend, but especially not to reveal anything, not to reveal too much about yourself that might get you some unwanted attention. But we can actually be this way about God as well. And we can relate to him in a similar way with respect, but no intimacy. 
and seeing him as unapproachable and watching to reveal, not to reveal anything about us and certainly not expecting him to reveal anything to us. And we can see ourselves as God's servants only and we are his servants in, in a sense, but it's not, that's not the whole truth. And we live a limited life if we see ourselves only as servants and it limits our boldness to come to him because how we see ourselves determines what we do and that's what we're focusing on this month in our theme we're in a revolution we're not defined by what we do but who we are and specifically who God says we are so let's have a look at the the key scripture I had for this morning to discover what God says about us so John 15 verse 15 the, the core of this verse reads I no longer call you servants now you are my friends So this morning, I want to help you discover that Jesus calls you his friend. So I've titled it, I Am Jesus' Friend. And I've got two key points this morning. So if you're taking notes, point number one, Jesus made the first move. So I remember a situation when uh, my youngest daughter, Persia, and I, we walked into a cafe once and someone that was already in the cafe just started waving this big wave towards us, giving this, this big beaming smile back in our direction. I didn't exactly know who she was, but she looked sort of vaguely familiar. So I smiled and did one of those waves that you wave and then you grab the door and you walk in. It's sort of a non-committal wave. It could be a wave if you were looking for it, but not necessarily, not giving yourself away. And meanwhile, we're shuffling in. I'm trying to ask Persia under my breath, Persia, do you know who this lady is that's like waving to us over there? Because I just assume maybe it's, I don't know, the friend, uh, uh, mother of one of her friends or swimming instructor. I don't know. And she's like, oh, no. Nah. So great. We're making our way to the counter and I'm just still drawing a blank. But I don't want to actually go over there and have a chat and uh, have the conversation go something like, hi, yeah, good to see you again too. Just remind me again, who are you? Because she was really waving like she meant it. Or it could have gone even worse, like the old, uh, she could have come back with, oh, sorry, I wasn't waving to you. I was waving to my friend just leaving behind you. So either way, it was going to be awkward. So instead, I just avoided the awkwardness. And I thought, well, at least I waved. But if Persia doesn't know who she is, and she's got an amazing memory, and I'm still drawing a blank, whoever she is, we'll possibly never see her again. We'll just, uh, I'll just get my way to the counter. We'll put an order in and we'll disappear to the tables out the back. It'll be all good. Not my proudest moment. Please don't do the same. But anyway, a few days later, just out of the blue, it just, it strikes me, hits me. And I go find Persia and say, hey, Persia, do you remember that lady in the cafe that we saw the other day? I've just figured out who she is. She's our neighbor. Ah! Couldn't believe it. And Persia's like, oh, no, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. So much for never seeing her again and avoiding the awkward situation. And it's not like a neighbour somewhere else on the street. Our houses literally face each other. We see each other as soon as we walk out the door. So, great. But needless to say, when I did figure it out, I actually went over there, apologised, explained the situation, and it's all good, we're all good. Uh, But she is an overly friendly, generous lady. However... Even for her, in that moment, thinking back to that time in the cafe when she was waving to us, there's a possibility she feels like she overcommitted in that moment. Or maybe the friend she was with thought that for her, on her behalf. But she made the first move. And her offering was rejected. It wasn't reciprocated. 
In fact, I basically ran away. But we never need fear this situation with Jesus. We can have full confidence that if we step out to him, that he will never reject us. And actually, he's already taken the first move, made that first step, and it was a huge one. And he doesn't actually offer to be our friends and make it conditional. He doesn't say, I am your friend if you first meet these conditions. He actually declares in our verse, now, now you are my friends. So our friendship with Jesus, it's not based on our own performance. It's not based on what we do. It's instead based on what, who Jesus says that we are. And actually in Jesus' time, it was usual for disciples to choose a rabbi, a particular rabbi or teacher to follow. But Jesus instead, he broke the mould on this and he chose his own disciples. He made the first move and he chose fishermen and guys from the tax department. So by extension, it's the same with us. It's the same thing he does with us. He chooses us, not based on our performance. We find out in Luke 7, verse 34, it describes uh, that Jesus was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he's not hanging out with the high types, not the theological graduates or founders of orphanages or whatever. He's hanging out with all of us, us. And he knows everything about us, everything about you, everything about me, what we've done in the past, what we're presently struggling with, even our future. And yet he still chooses to be our friends. And this is how Jesus deals with his creation, his rogue creation. I just had this thought that's funny to contrast this with how man deals with a rogue creation. And we get a bit of a glimpse at this, looking at that ever-popular medium of science fiction. So if you think back to some famous sci-fi movies in the past, like Blade Runner, The Matrix, Jurassic Park, The Terminator, The Terminator 2, The Terminator 3, Terminator Salvation, Terminator Genesis, Terminator Dark Fate, they really have made a lot of Terminators. But the common thread in these stories is that something's created, it goes wrong, it rebels against its creator, and then the rest of the story is taken up with overcoming and destroying that rogue creation, that defective creation. But in complete contrast, God's version of this story, that is reality, what we're in, is he chooses instead to sacrifice himself, to redeem the creation and draw it into friendship with himself, which is a far better outcome for us, the defective creation in that story, right? But so I didn't just lose you there to daydreaming about your favourite scene out of your favourite Terminator. And I just remake the point that essentially Jesus became defective. He submitted to being destroyed by the created, by us, so that we could be redeemed and accepted by God. That's huge. And friend, when the Bible speaks of friend here in our key verse, the Greek term used in the New Testament's philos, and that can be translated as someone dearly loved or prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant held dear in a close bond of personal affection. So that's huge. That's, that's a deep friendship. That's not just surface level. And today, Jesus has made the first move. He's calling you his friend. Point one, Jesus made the first move. And point number two, if you're still taking notes, Jesus confides in us. So as a fairly shy person myself, there's some things that I'll tell most people, like I like to play guitar, I like to ride bikes. 
And there's other things I'll only tell close friends, like where my tattoos are, or uh, whether I even have any. <laughs> or even really embarrassing stories about my neighbour. <laughs> and there's some things I'll only tell my really close friend, Sandra, like, I'm going to tell you guys. I'll tell her later. But the point is that friends share secrets. We confide in each other. So looking a bit more in our key verse, the full version of verse 15 and a couple before it, John 15, verse 12 to 15 reads, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. So if we were servants only, we'd just be given orders with no explanation, no understanding. A little like the CEO I was describing earlier, but Jesus instead, he brings us into his circle. He confides in us. He wants us to build a relationship with him as intimate friends he offers us the opportunity to know his heart he's the head honchoist most high and mighty ceo there is and he chooses us and the friendship is offering as it says in this verse our our key verse it's all inclusive it includes everything there are no secrets that he will hold back but jesus he wants to confide in you in all of us We get a bit of a picture of how God related to Moses in the Old Testament. In Exodus 33, verse 11, it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I mean, who here thinks that sounds like a mind-boggling way to describe your relationship with God? But through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're actually offered an even closer relationship, one where the veil between us and Him, it's completely lifted completely torn away and relationships fully restored so it's not one limited to a master-servant relationship but as friends so as we draw nearer to him he draws nearer to us or another way of saying that in james 4 8 come close to god and god will come close to you and just as friends who spend time together become more alike if you look at an old married couple that's been married many decades they start looking and sounding more like each other finishing each other's sentences so too we become more like him when we spend time in his presence and we meditate on his word letting ourselves be transformed and renewed through his word and speaking of his word we've actually had a bible reading plan running here all last year we're still currently in it the devoted plan which mitch you mentioned you were reading proverbs during the week you were on the devoted plan good man but if any any plan is a great way of forming this habit of daily Bible reading, daily time in His Word, letting Him speak to us. And the plan actually runs out at the end of this month. But there's a new one coming next month. New one launching on the first Sunday of February. So I'd really highly recommend that everyone get on board with this plan and just build that that discipline of daily time in His Bible. So commit to that. Three weeks' time that kicks off. If you want to know the secrets of God, get into the Word of God. And He wants to reveal things to us, and His Holy Spirit will bring understanding as we spend time in His Word. All right, well, to wrap up, He's made the first move, 
and He wants to confide in you. He wants to speak to all of you this year. Let this year be the year that you develop a closer relationship with God, either for the first time or just deepening an existing relationship. So why don't you all stand? Let's receive this truth together. You might feel distant from God at the moment, but that's not the truth. The truth, no, no, no matter what your feelings, is that Jesus has already done everything needed to restore relationship between you and Him. You just need to accept it. So why don't you make the decision today to open up your heart, hear the voice of God, and just agree with me as I pray on our behalf a prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you no longer call us just servants. Today, you call me your friend. God, speak to me. Speak to me through your word. I open up my heart to you, God. Confide in me. I want to hear your voice more than I've ever heard it before, Lord. Yes, God. And Lord, in Jesus' name, I break the lie here today that we're just servants of a distant, controlling, angry boss. Right now, thank you. We are your friends. Release a new boldness that people will come to you, Lord, that people will run to your arms, Lord. Right now, I speak to ears in this place, Lord, that they will open to hear your voice, to hear your whisper, Lord. I release a hunger, a thirst, Lord, for your word this year. I declare and prophesy, Lord, for new levels of friendship with us, new levels of intimacy between us and you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Great. Let's thank God together. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.